Welcome to Christ the Center, your weekly conversation of Reformed Theology. This is episode number 321. My name is Camden Busey, and I'm the pastor of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Grays Lake, Illinois. I'm very delighted to be back with you today to have another great conversation on a great topic. Let me introduce to you our panelists. We have Jonathan Brack, who is the Director of Admissions at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Welcome back, Jonathan. It's wonderful to speak with you today. Hey, Camden. We also have with us uh, Jared Oliphant, uh, his partner in all things seminary. <laughs> Jared is a regional coordinator working for Westminster, but he's uh, out and about, and he's working from Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome back, Jared. It's good to have you on as well. Thanks, Camden. Good to be on this one. Yes, yes. Well, we had just had a great time. Just last week, we were at the Desiring God Conference for Pastors up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a wonderful time to be in Minneapolis. I think on my way up there, the uh, thermostat on the uh, rental car said minus 18 degrees. Uh, so I thought I was in cold land, you know, living close to Chiberia. You know, it's cold enough here and we get the wind off the lake, but uh, driving up there, it's uh, hard to believe there's something even just a shade bit colder. Nevertheless, we had a great time, just a, a wonderful conference. We're going to talk about that today. We're also going to introduce two fellows from Desiring God. We had a pre-recorded interview with them. They're talking about a new book coming out. But before we get into that, I do need to mention that Christ the Center is listener-supported, and we do rely on the generous support of all of our listeners to help us produce and distribute all of our programs and various theological resources free of charge. All we want is just for you to visit us online and, and download our episodes and our resources. And if you find them helpful and you'd like to encourage our efforts, please visit our webpage, reformedforum.org slash donate to pledge your support today. We really, in 2014, would like to uh, break through into kind of a new era for our organization, but we need your help. And we really would appreciate if you would pledge your support, maybe $5 a month uh, goes a long way. We have a growing number of supporters who have committed to the, just that, and uh, we could use more to help us to uh, bring to you more and more excellent theological resources to help you grow in your understanding of God's Word. Uh, we want to support the, the church in that way. So visit us online, reformedforum.org slash donate. We thank you so much for your support of everything we do at Reformed Forum, and especially this particular program. Christ the Center. Now, uh, when I saw the topic of this conference uh, being Union with Christ and uh, seeing the, the speakers that are going to be there, the plenary speakers being John Piper, Sinclair Ferguson, Michael Horton, we thought it would be an excellent opportunity for us to go and uh, exhibit. This was the first time Reformed Forum exhibited at a conference like this, having our own booth and uh, meeting people face-to-face -face, uh, under our own name rather than me just kind of tagging along with my friends. <laughs> we actually were able to have a presence, and I talked to so many people. Uh, Nick Batzig was there with me at the booth, and uh, we talked to so many different people that were uh, interested in Reformed theology and interested in uh, the, not only the doctrines of grace, but in ecclesiology and all sorts of other things, but also many people that had never heard of Reformed Forum, and we were able to talk to them and introduce a whole host of new things to them and point them to our website. It was so exciting. Before we get into our interview with the guys from DG, uh, Jared and Jonathan, what were your experiences uh, regarding this conference? How did you think it turned out in relation to uh, you know the previous years where you've been there? This was the sixth uh, Design God conference that I've been to, if you include like the national conferences as well. And uh, I this was 
highly anticipated for me personally, um, just because of the topic, I'm very much interested in, in issues surrounding union with Christ and discussions that have been going on and, um, the speakers as well. I mean, Sinclair Ferguson, you know, I've, um, followed him for, for years and, uh, especially his work. And so there was a lot of buildup to it, especially, you know, we were giving away Gaffin's by faith, not by sight. Um, some of you may have heard the interview, and, and you'll understand why um, that was just so key to uh, to the the conference experience. Um, but I thought I thought the conference went so well on all fronts. We got to talk to a lot of great great people. Um, they had questions about um, you know the books that we were giving out and the conference topic, and, and it was so helpful to hear their perspectives on things and where they're coming from um, because it's a pastors' conference. You know how how does this uh, pan out in the local church? And um, always interested in in any theological topic on that level. So the conversations, um, getting to see old friends at DG, uh, mentioned David Clifford, who runs all the logistics. He was just fantastic as always. So I, I really benefited um, at every level from this one. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan, how was your experience? It was great. I love the Desiring God conference. I love the demographic that it appeals to. And so representing Westminster, the conversations are so what's a good way to put it? They're so easy in the sense in which being able to connect Westminster's distinctives to this demographic, because it's John Piper pulling a lot of pastors together to learn about excellent theological topics, such as union with Christ. So there's a launching pad in which to talk about a whole host of things to students who, who normally wouldn't be asking, why is union with Christ important? You have somebody uh, such as John Piper saying, it is one of the most important doctrines in the Christian life. And then students asking us, how are you guys connected to this theological topic, union with Christ? And we have tons of information. It connects to one of our distinctives. So it was very rewarding to see that the conversations about seminary and prospective students were not just simply logistical. Like, you know, what? how many hours, what does it cost? Which are important questions, but the deeper, more important questions to ask about attending a seminary in the future is what is actually being theologically taught at the school? And so that's why Desiring God conferences are great, because you can actually connect to the theology really well. That's helpful, and we want to unpack more of this, as particularly what it means to live as a seminary student. And it's so important that you examine a whole host of these features and, and factors either when you're preparing to go to seminary or when you're are learning about seminaries and might recommend seminaries to others, as many of the pastors at the Desiring God Conference might be doing. On that very note, we were able, uh, during one of the breaks, uh, to go back to the hotel room where we had some gear, and we were able to record an interview with David Mathis and Jonathan Parnell, both uh, men who work for Desiring God in various capacities. Uh, They have a book uh, from Crossway titled How to Stay Christian in Seminary. Uh, Right out of the gate, I'd like to uh, clip in. Uh, We're going to go to that pre-recorded conversation and talk to David and Jonathan on this very book. So let us send you over to this pre-recorded interview. We'll be back after the break where we'll be able to talk more about our experience at the Desiring God Conference for Pastors 2014. 
We have with us uh, today David Mathis, who is executive editor at DesiringGod.org. Welcome back, David. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks, Camden. Good to be here. We also have Jonathan Parnell, who is a content strategist for DesiringGod.org. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thanks, Camden. It's so great to talk to you guys. Uh, And we're very excited about this book um, because it's on a subject that's so important and also one that some people might not think about. At least people that haven't gone to seminary might not realize the dangers of seminary, you know what I mean? Um, and we're very excited to talk to you about this book. Can you describe just the process of coming up with this book and also your desire to help others to be able to navigate the challenges that they might encounter at seminary? Yeah, I think the simplest way we want to say it is that this is a, this book is an attempt to help men in seminary know Jesus in the midst of their studies. Obviously, they're, we're learning tons, learning tons of great theology, great teaching. And the hope behind the book is to help guys connect the information they're getting in their heads to their hearts and into their lives. And so that's simply, I think, in a word, what, what we're trying to do in this book. The book kind of has an ironic title, a little twist in the title. Uh, you may think, well, of all places to stay Christian, surely seminary would be one of the easiest and actually, I mean, we found several folks who talk about the dangers, pretty frankly. Don Carson talks about the dangers. He calls it distantiation in his book, infamous book, Exegetical Fallacies. Uh, John Frame talks about the dangers of, of seminary because we're uh, studying so many wonderful things. We can handle uh, lightly the things of God and becomes a way that actually can dull our hearts. So it can be a, it, there's a, a kind of spiritual danger in being so close to such great things and handling them in a, in a flippant way. You know, this is no massive tome. This is a little 80 page book. Uh, most seminary guys will be able to knock it out in one sitting if they like, because we know in addition to all the reading and studies they have, they don't have a lot of extra time. But just to kind of help orient a little bit on seven little points, this is not the first word on the devotional life of the seminarian, and it's not the last word. There are so many more things to be said, but we just wanted to put a little piece out there and help guys begin the conversation for themselves. That's that's right. Yeah. You know, there's another a book out there that's very well known, at least in our circles, by B.B. Warfield on the religious life of theological students. It's uh, so encouraging to hear uh, now that there's this new title. Um, you mentioned the seven points. Uh, could you introduce some of those to us and let us know the content therein? Well, first on B.B. Warfield, that that's the that is the piece. Like that's the main thing for seminary students. We recommend in the back. We recommend five different uh, further readings for students. And I think Jonathan quotes from B.B. Warfield in one of his chapters. The seven chapters. You want to give the outline? Yeah. Uh, well, um, on that piece, I was going to say the book is inspired by by Warfield. Yes. Inspired know. by Warfield, <laughs> <laughs> the man who wrote so much on inspiration. It is not inerrant, though. <laughs> No, it, uh, um, in, the, in the loosest sense, uh, you know, Telica's uh, little exercise for young theologians in size, you know, that we feel like it's comparable to that, to that book um, in a, a newer version of it, perhaps. But uh, we also refer to him in the book. And uh, so as far as the outline, um, we kick it off. I think the, the, the two hinges to the book are our first the first chapter about just intentionality coming with a a vision for what you what's your anchor in your studies and uh that's kind of this you know we we call it forward thinking intentionality and kind of the end of the book david's conclusion is kind of this everyday simplicity which is is uh you know we want want you to have 
having be intentional have a have a posture to your studies where you know you're you're there for a reason make your classes work for you what are you about and then at the end of the day you just you just you just need to be a christian now you know tomorrow and uh and so i think that's that's probably the con- the uh, hinges for the book. One one way to put the book is it's just a very humble, brief exercise in applying the gospel to seminary. Like there's no tricks, there's no magic or hocus pocus. It's it's very simple and straightforward. We have a chapter on just making your your study of the Bible devotional, feeding your own soul. So this is Christianity 101. A chapter on prayer. Jonathan called that push your books aside and pray and you know, make that time for prayer. A, a chapter on uh, being a real dad and a real husband for guys who are married, have kids in seminary, about the priority of those commitments over some subjective perceived call to ministry. Uh, that, 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 that call to ministry, uh, wonderful as it is, is, is relativized by the objective call to be husband and to, and to be father. And we have a chapter about keeping two eyes peeled for Jesus in all your studies, church history, pastoral ministry, preaching, exegesis, New Testament, Old Testament, just keeping a lookout for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to see him everywhere. We want all of our classes to enhance that. Uh, you kick it off with a chapter on mission statement. Yeah, mission statement, and then um, you get into Be Fascinated with Grace, which right. is yep. um, just being alive to grace. And then there's the chapter on weakness, mm-hmm. too. Which, uh, if you're a student in seminary, you know what it, you, you, there's a temptation to want to be remarkable. You kind of get into right. your studies yeah. and you kind of want to find your thing and you want you to wanna, be the best. You want to be, the, <laughs> you want to be, you know, yeah. So, uh, that chapter is love that Jesus calls the weak. Um, and so seminary is not, uh, is, is not aimed at making us strong necessarily, but making us equipped, weak ministers of the gospel. So, so it's, uh, I mean, Honestly, it, it's very unimpressive. It's just a, a very simple, straightforward way to, to draw attention to the basics and to apply the gospel, especially to a seminary student. We hope that it's really relevant beyond seminary students. Yeah. Uh, we think it is relevant for all Christians, but in particular, we've taken seminary students and, and Bible college students mm-hmm. in focus. I think that's so helpful. There's uh, definitely uh, so many dangers at work, uh, the one being that you end up treating the Bible as an object of study rather than as a means of grace and something that feeds your soul. Um, you're, you're addressing that directly. The other one that you alluded to, you know, you mentioned being a Christian now and being a good husband and a good father now. The tendency always can be, well, I need to get through this degree and, and graduate so that then I may do what it, whatever it may be. Then I will be equipped to do whatever it may be. That can apply to a whole host of fields, you know. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yesterday we had our little seminar here at the at the conference, and Dave and I both spoke for about fifteen minutes each. I kind of started with that, you know, intentionality piece, and then David came and did the everyday simplicity, and uh, it really resonated, I think, with a lot of the guys who were in there because they get that they get the temptation to use that. Oh, I'm in this, you know, this season now of transition. I've and uh, it's just a it's a, a breath of fresh air to know, like, no, I mean, that's part of the journey. That is the Christian life, you know. That that transition is how it goes. And uh, I I would commend that that fifteen minute uh, audio. It's going to be on DesiringGod.org. dot org. But uh, it, I think it captures really well what we're trying to do in the book. So, 
I think the more of these kind of books, uh, the better. And and partially, if if you think about you know the average student going through seminary, there's no course that can force you to do something like this. This is you appropriating what you learn in the classroom, and there's not an occasion to everybody get in a room and really do the 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 work that it takes in the heart to to um, make this kind of stuff live out in your own personal life. Your wife is not going to be in the classroom. Your kids aren't in the classroom. So it's taking a lot of these things and and applying them and working through them. Um, so my, my other question on this then is, uh, how do you guys understand what you're saying here in the context of the local church as well, um, in the seminary local church, uh, connection? Mm-hmm. That's one of the points we make in the book. And we tried to stress a seminar yesterday. I mean, we all, <laughs> I should say I do. And I think most of us do, maybe all of us do have this propensity to want to give ourselves a pass at certain times in life on the things that we otherwise believe in a spouse and tell others to do. And uh, one of those is, well, you know, I'm studying in the classroom, so I don't I don't need to make that little patch for cultivating my own heart affections devotionally. Or uh, just for this season, I don't really need to play the man at home because we're getting through it, and then after I get my degree, I'll, I'll be Mr. Dad. It's all delayed. And, yeah. and the third one is the local church. Keep the local church at arm's length, arm's length. And you can even tell yourself the lie, you know what, I'm doing them a favor because I'm in a transition of life. And you know I don't want to get to know them well, and then be torn away from the local church. Oh, poor people in the local church that they would then uh, be void of me once I had to leave seminary. <laughs> so I, and that's one of the one of the main things you want to say about just uh, seminary being a time to engage in and practice the normal Christian life that you want to minister from and minister your people toward in Christian maturity. Uh, Seminary is the time to pursue that and, and not put the main things on hold. And the local church is absolutely essential in that. So I would want to encourage any seminary student, you come into a new context. I mean, one of the things you should research before heading off to seminary, what churches are nearby? Where can you plug in? Get recommendations absolutely. from faculty, from administration staff, from students. Now research that ahead of time. Visit some churches. And I would say, you know what? There's not a perfect church. You're not going to find the perfect church there. Uh, go ahead and make the commitment early. Be there. Plug in. If you're going to be there three, four years, see if uh, how much of that three or four years you can plug in and be there. And you know what? A lot of times, God redirects our call uh, once we've taken that first step. So we get a call in some small town. We relocate to a seminary. And then maybe God actually calls us to be in the city where we were in seminary. And those four years of investment there turn into 40 in that town. Yeah, that's right. Uh, another question we should mention, uh, John Piper has the foreword to this book, right? He wrote the foreword. Um, can you give us a little flavor of what he was going for in relation to this topic in his foreword? You know, I, I don't remember it all too well, because uh, <laughs> I remember Jonathan's <laughs> writing better rather than John's. But I think what, uh, you know, so John's not a, he's not a joker. Like he, he doesn't right. have any slightly clever titles, like <laughs> "How to Stay Christian in Seminary." That little, the little turn of the irony. So I, I think he was in his foreword, uh, helping establish what we love and we totally believe, and would have been the subtitle of our book. Uh, that it's not just about how to stay Christian in seminary; it's really about how to flourish, how right. to thrive in seminary. And so he was really he pushes on that in the foreword. The seminary. You know, for some, it's just a time of survival. But, and for, for some of us, maybe for many it is, but for most, it can be a amazing time of flourishing, of thriving, of some amazing days of training and formative uh, period that you're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very encouraging. Very, I mean, he, he got behind the idea. He understands being a chancellor at Bethlehem College of yeah, Seminary. Yeah. He's around seminary students all the time. 
Um, and so he, he gets the challenges there. And his, his seminary experience he's talked about was so positive. I mean, he had earth-shaking, changing things. So, Jonathan, did have a question for you. You are a seminary graduate. Um, you did study at BCS, Bethlehem College and Seminary, um, the seminary part. Can you explain how um, maybe some, not necessarily memories, but uh, take us back to your experience. Uh, how are some of the things that you have written now? Um, what would you have liked to hear uh, from from yourself and David uh, that maybe you could have applied while you were going through it? What was your experience like, I guess, is my question. Yeah, that's, that was a great, that's a great question. We, you know, I think probably about three years in, um, especially with having a, grow, grow, a growing family, uh, your scenery begins to change outside the classroom, but the classroom kind of stays the same. And you have to really make sense of how that how that's going to affect you. Um, the way it affected me is uh, I experienced a little bit of burnout. Like I can't take another assignment um, and uh, and just feeling so low, so low as far as I got to, I got to keep reading what I'm being told to read. And I just want to, so it kind of a, kind of the way that I, I felt a little naughty is, is kind of cracking books open that weren't assigned and, and kind of dipping in and, and reading. It's a good rebellion. I, yeah. I was helped by that. And, and it was always interesting how, um, somehow what I was reading outside of the assignments could be integrated into the things that I was, I was learning. And it, I, I read slow. It wasn't like I was, it was just this little stuff. But, um, you know, Piper says that, you know, it's sentences that change lives. It's paragraphs. And, and by God's, uh, God's kindness, I read a lot of good sentences here and there that really helped me. Um, so I think, I think I would have been more helped if I'd have known that ahead of time. So we think about, we want to, we want to keep our devotional life flourishing. And of course that includes primarily staying in the word, coming to the word devotionally. But I think it also can mean opening the institutes, you know, outside of, outside right. of assignments, opening up books that would otherwise be part of a syllabus and come in there and saying, I just, I just want to take this. And just let it feed my soul, and not, and not. I'm not going to write about it. I'm not going to talk about it. This is just for me and for my soul right now. And I was helped a few times doing that. So yeah, that's really helpful. I also, I mean, you brought up a great point. Um, you were married. You you were having kids in seminary. Um, the demographics of seminary can be very interesting, um, and there are. Uh, so many challenges, I'm sure, to being married and especially having kids um, logistically, financially, uh, just about in every way, finding time. Um, wanted to give just a, a quick word to the the single people who are going through seminary too, because I, I was single when I went through seminary and um, it, it has its own challenges. I mean, you, you look around and naturally, uh, this isn't a fault, what, what tends to happen is that the married guys tend to stick together and, and the and the guys with kids uh, stick together their kids play together and um, so so different groups start forming and and also you're involved in seminary and and most of the pastors out there are married um, you know in, in families and so it it can be a lonely time um, it's also a blessing in that you have a lot more time to study uh, than probably the average uh, married person um, so all that is to say um, you know, I definitely have a heart for those guys who are single in seminary and, and girls who are single in seminary um, and and looking around and just uh, trying to find their place through that context as well, especially with the local church. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, we very much uh, enjoyed speaking with them. They're great guys, and we'll, we love always talking to them whenever we have the opportunity. So we wish them the best, and we encourage you to go online and get a copy of this book, How to Stay Christian in Seminary. And it's not just applicable to seminary students. There are a lot of important principles that are useful here for every Christian life. So we would encourage you, you can visit them online. You can find the book at crossway.org, but also a whole host of other places that sell books. And you can find it in a variety of formats, too. There are ebook formats. Uh, Crossway is selling them just for $5.99. Uh, but you can get, I think you can also get the hardback uh, or the, uh, the hard copy. It's a paperback book uh, at $5.99 as well. So visit them online. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, David Mathis, Jonathan Parnell, How to Stay Christian in Seminary. Camden, I was uh, interested to to hear from you what kind of conversations you were having at the Reform Forum booth, what kind of questions people were asking. I wasn't able to get over there really yeah. at all because um, I was over at the Westminster booth, but um, so I, I wasn't privy to to what your experience was. What what kind of things were you guys talking about? Well, we had so many conversations, and there were they were uh, wide ranging on a variety of issues. I would say a majority of people just came to the booth because of this passport thing they have, which I loved. <laughs> uh, what the conference organizers did was they had a, a passport and you could go to all the booths. And if you got a stamp for each booth, each booth had a particular stamp uh, designated for them. And uh, if you were able to visit all the booths and get your your passport stamped, then you could submit those passports for grand prize drawing at the end of the conference. Uh, so that drove a lot of people to booths where they may not uh, visit in the first place. So because of that, we had so many people coming to the booth that really just wanted their book stamped. <laughs> There's no pretense here. They just, can we get your stamp? But while I was stamping the passport, we had the opportunity to ask, you know, have you heard of Reformed Forum? Some people would say yes and then come to find out that we're not actually Reformed Theological Seminary. So then they say, well, maybe I haven't heard of you. Uh, but <laughs> what we came to see is that a a majority of people, mind you, there are 2,000 or so registrants and participants of this conference, a lot of people there. People were very much interested in going deeper in their understanding of Reformed theology. I, I came across no one that was outright hostile to the word Reformed or the idea of Reformed confessional theology. That would be different at other conferences. People would say, well, I'm not Reformed, I'm such and such. It seemed that everyone was vaguely interested in learning more, understanding more about church history, uh, systematic theology, biblical theology, all the, the apologetics, you know, all the things that we really like to focus on at Christ the Center. But a lot of people just flat out never heard of us. And so all we wanted to do was pass out resources. We had some sample CDs that had an interview with Carl Truman talking about the significance of the Reformation. Uh, we were handing out flyers with URLs to our various websites. We were trying to point people to our recent interview with Dr. Gaffin on his book, By Faith, Not By Sight, and basically just wanting people to go online. That's it. And and they were most surprised, I think, when they found out that we have over a thousand interviews and episodes on a range of topics, all online, all free. I think that's what surprised people the most. Uh, we weren't trying to sell them anything, but we just wanted them to to learn and to go online and, and find out more. I think that's what surprised people the most. Uh, however, we did get into more extended conversations with other folks. There were also a lot of people that were familiar with what we do that do subscribe to the podcast. And I think, Jared, I was most surprised by uh, the range of background. We found a lot of E3 guys, 
there were a couple RCES guys uh, coming from the, the German Reformed heritage back. It's not so much identified with that today, but uh, that's their tradition. And I found some other confessional types, PCA folks, uh, OPC folks, a couple. So it was exciting to talk to people from a wide range of backgrounds. And I was just surprised and encouraged uh, by the depth of questions, even from some of the E-free people, how reformed they actually were. And, and some guys were moving towards even Presbyterian ecclesiology and a whole range of other issues. It was nice to see the effects of good, solid reformed teaching and how people were seeking to bring all of their doctrine and practice into conformity to Scripture. It was kind of that Semper Reformanda principle. I think that was most interesting, and for people to find out that we seek to talk about you know a whole range of subjects. We're not just focused on apologetics. We're not just focused on a slice of history. We're focused on understanding how Scripture reforms all of these areas. That's what was most encouraging. Did you find a similar thing over at the Westminster booth? Yeah, there's yeah a, a lot of different— It's always surprising the different demographics of people who have heard of Westminster— I'm I'm always surprised that even though we are, of course, you know, representing a seminary for people interested in theological degrees, there are a lot of people who just come up to the booth because of our brand and just ask straight up theological questions. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, you guys work for Westminster, you should know something about this topic. <laughs> right. And especially because the topic was Union with Christ, I, you know, I think I got about four or five times guys came up and said, what's the difference between, you know, what Michael Horton teaches and what you guys teach on union with Christ. Mm -hmm. And so people have actually heard of a distinction and they weren't interested in a program and per se, but they just wanted to know theological material. There was one guy who asked Jared and I, what's the best systematic theology book in your opinion? Yeah. (laughs) So that was, we, you know, I love those conversations at the booth. Camden, I was going to ask you about the Reform Forum booth. Did anybody come up to the booth that had been a listener and give you suggestions? Because we at Westminster will get often, you know, I love Westminster. I love your bookstore. I'm a huge fan of Beale and Oliphant, but I, I wish you guys would do an online program. So we always get like yeah, a suggestion. Exactly. Of, I wish X, Y, and Z. Did you get any of that? I'm I'm, I'm curious to know. If, yeah, we did. Uh, several, and I'm not going to remember all the ideas. I try to take notes, and people do email regularly, you know, ideas for show episode topics. Um, some of the more prominent ones that come to mind now were ones on eldership and ecclesiology. Uh, people were interested in this and understanding what it means to be Reformed in our ecclesiology, which is so encouraging. Um, and this was coming again from non-denominational types or or e-free folks uh, and just people who are by default congregationalists. So that was right. encouraging, but also um, you know people interested in in culture and the application of reformed theology to different topics, whether they be politics or you know kind of the traditional Kuyperian type of analysis, the worldview stuff. And and we've ventured into that here and there, Um, but there was even a suggestion, which is intriguing. I, again, don't know, well, certainly don't think right now we are able to do this or it would be the best use of our time, but I could definitely see somebody out there doing something on kind of a reformed, uh, I guess, worldview program, kind of like what Al Mohler does, but maybe from a more confessional 
standpoint. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of skill, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of research and, and uh, reading and current events to be able to do something like that well. It's amazing Al Mohler can do what he does. It's really astounding. Um, but uh, there, there's a desire for that kind of program, I think, from a um, a reformed confessional standpoint. Now, Al Mohler, we agree with on a lot of things. I very much appreciate what he does. But also there was some desire for more traditional uh, reformed and presbyterian viewpoint on some of that stuff would be interesting mm-hmm. to see don't don't know if reform forums the place to do that but nevertheless a very interesting idea ken that that raises the question uh why and, and i can answer this too from maybe westminster's perspective but why be at a conference like this in the first place um we get feedback every once in a while and um, I will say it's the vast, vast minority. Um, but every once in a while, we'll get a comment or something from someone who uh, is upset that, you know, from Westminster is at a conference that isn't strictly Presbyterian. Right. And um, I've also noticed that this comes from uh, former Baptists mostly. Um, you know, you, you always hate where you come from the most in some respects uh, or, or against it if you've, if you've moved on or something. But um, – Maybe uh, hearing from you a little bit on what went into the decision to um, participate in a conference that isn't, you know, an OPC conference or something. Uh, Yeah, right. Well, when we look at trying to grow our organization in the sense of we would like people to know what we do and we want to help more and more people, Uh, to some degree, anybody who's interested in Reformed theology, we, we certainly haven't hit a saturation point, I think in our own circles, OPC and PCA, by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think that there is a a very strong familiarity there. What is so interesting at a conference like this is that we have a lot of similarities. Um, You know, there's a general sympathy with the kind of thing we might be doing, even though there might be differences uh, on, on particular doctrines, you know, the doctrine of the sacraments and, and also church uh, relations, ecumenicity, or, or you know, confessional subscription. You know, there's going to be particular differences, but I couldn't think of a better place to go and a better topic where we would be uh, most helpful to a larger group of people that had never heard of what we do. When I look at all the different conferences, you know, we would like to be involved in other ones if we have the the, the time. Uh, the, the people and the money, the finances to send people to these conferences, you know, conferences like Ligonier, the Ligonier National Conference or the Ligonier Pastors Conferences. Those would be excellent places for us to go. But in terms of per capita familiarity with what we do, um, Desiring God, I think, is the closest, you know, in the ballpark that would also have the greatest number of people that uh, we would be able to make a first impression on, if that's if that makes any sense. I talked to so many people, again, that were interested in what we did and would like to know more about Reformed theology, but at the same time, had never heard of the fact that there was you know a, a podcast and a website and an organization devoted to producing and distributing all this all this rich theological material for free. It just didn't know about it. Right, right. And it's, I mean, I think it's so important, too, to maintain the difference between uh, difference and, and maybe even disagreements regarding theological oh, beliefs yeah. and uh, the difference between that and personal and relationships. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's something like that. So um, I mentioned that because it's, 
it's not the case that an organization like, uh, let's say, Westminster Seminary uh, goes to a place because it's accommodating in some way in its theological <laughs> right. uh, posture or beliefs or something. What what is happening is um, we're we're going into an audience that you just described, and there's a lot of commonality, but we have relationships with people and organizations freely admitting that we're going to agree on some things and disagree on yeah. others and that there's just not a problem with that. I mean, you know, in, in some respects, we couldn't go anywhere if we only looked for places where, you know, it's basically identical. Um, <laughs> I don't even see another identical seminary out there. So um, and then so on the other spectrum, you know, we're not going to go to like a Joel Osteen conference probably. Um, right. uh, so there, there is a line. But in terms of just, you know, our, our general circles, and that's going to be loosely and vaguely defined, I admit, but um, within reason – we want to go places where we do have some commonality and can maintain those personal relationships. Again, acknowledging that there's yeah. going to be some differences here and there that we can freely talk about. And certainly not that your presence promotes everything and anything that a conference or the participants might right. agree with. But or have I'm, ever said in their whole life. <laughs> I know. Um, but it's also important to note that this isn't just a one-way thing. I mean, um, it would be easy just to say, well, we have all the truth and... Uh, we're just rock solid on every point of doctrine we've ever considered, and now we're going to go and just um, you know, convert everyone to our understanding. Right. What we want to do is promote a healthy and a, and a solid and rich biblical understanding of all of these topics. And it's important that we go out uh, and sharpen one another. And so I see that as a two-way street. Now, I'm, I'm firm in my convictions. I'm a minister of the gospel in a particular denomination. I have particular beliefs. And, and uh, to be upfront, it will be hard for me to, to change the beliefs. Like if I get in an argument with a Baptist, even if he brings something up to me I'd never considered, I, I would not, you know, just change my view on the spot. <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. But... Uh, you know, we should never be afraid to go interact with people where we might have differences. We're in a bad place if we're not willing to talk to others. And if we want to promote a, a Reformed understanding because we think it's biblical, then ought we not go to where people are ready to hear it and would like to hear it but are not yet right. Reformed in a confessional way? If we only ever stuck to our corner and then complained about people that weren't in the corner with us, we're not actually helping anybody. We're just reinforcing one another's views, and we have effectively become an echo chamber then. That's right. why I think it's important to go to places like the PCA General Assembly. It's important to go to the OPC General Assembly. It's important yeah. also to go places like Ligonier, but it, it's also important to talk to guys at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, to talk to people at Desiring God, to interact with people that would like to learn and grow, and, and we can learn from them too, and we can understand you know, where we have holes or, or, or weak spots in our theology, and we can come, all come to a greater understanding and glorify God through uh, submitting ourselves to his word. Right. Yeah, the, the Desiring God conference, which is, has got its anchor in what John Piper has done. I mean, I grew up in the OPC and probably been— Vantillion since I don't know thirteen years old or something. Um, I think you and I are the only ones who grew up in the OPC. <laughs> as I survey the the reform circles out there, yeah. yeah and um, I've been just incredibly blessed by John Piper's ministry, especially in all the areas in which we agree on inerrancy, five points of Calvinism, uh, all the solas, and especially how John Piper 
can preach. Oh my, yeah, so well. And, and he, one thing that always strikes me strange about John Piper is that he holds your attention, and it's it's reformed from A to B. You know, as far as the entire sermon, but he holds your attention, and he rarely gives just general stories. You know, it's just usually exegesis and theology and application. You know, there's not a ton of. Well, let me tell you about the story of this. You know, World War II veteran who was. And you don't have that is so minimal in his yeah. preaching, and I'm just like, this is rock solid, and you know, I, I can't help but be blessed by this because it's it's true and it's godly and it's biblical. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think it's an, important to have that that posture as you go to these conferences. So, of course, we have our distinctions about. Uh, some of the the details in our, our our theological makeup, but at the same time, I would be the first to admit that I've been I can share simple truths about uh, Calvinism and sola scripture better having listened to uh, what desiring God produces. Yeah, and so yeah, uh, you know, to be not willing to admit that it's just prideful, um, as opposed to you know humble. And, and humbly saying, you know, these people have in- incredible gifts that we could use and to help further the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that's why I love this conference. It's, it's excellent. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. And, um, you know, if you think about, if you start from the principle that no one was born with a pristine understanding of Reformed theology, there, you know, the, the people who say, oh, you know, you shouldn't associate with these people, you shouldn't be at conferences like this, um, usually do not take into account just the basic fact of theological maturity, that not everyone is going to get the full thrust of Reformed theology all at once, or not everyone has, quote unquote, I mean, I have it, I don't, you know, in one sense, no one on earth can, but um, in terms of, you know, the standard that they're looking for, um, a lot of people are just trying to read things on the way to a better understanding. Um, So to kind of cast aspersions on people who may have, uh, may be very excited at, you know, this new um, theology that they're coming from, from an Arminian background or, you know, from a strictly Baptist background or wherever it is and getting a little bit of it, but not the whole thing, um, you know, just just to write that kind of person off and just say, well, you know, they're not Presbyterian or they they don't have a full historical understanding of how the entire tradition has held to whatever. Yeah. Of course, that's that's a good aspirational model and we should all seek that. But not everyone even has the categories up front to to understand it that way. And I think that's a testament to what we do in the first place is try to provide that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I imagine people new to the program might, might tune in and from one perspective, could could think that you know the kinds of things we're talking about is arrogant and, and prideful, in the sense that we've arrived at Reformed theology, and you know we want to make sure everyone else does. But if this is our firm conviction, and we believe that this is God's truth, then we want other people to know about that. We come, we came to these. Each and every one of us came to these convictions over a period of time. And even if you were catechized at such a young age, you don't understand the catechism with the same depth and richness as you do when you're older and when you've thought about it, when you've read and learned it alongside of and, and in subordination to God's Word. The, what we're trying to advocate, again, is a type of helpful theology that interacts with other people, people that you disagree with. You know, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, rather than an 
echo chamber theology that simply reinforces you know our own view because we say something and then we hear someone else say it back to us. That's unhelpful. It's, now we want to listen to and, and study the voices of the past, but we also need to get out there here and there and talk to people. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had no one to talk to for years. I, I was becoming Reformed and reading Reformed theology, but I had no one to bounce that off with. There are thousands of people out there that are reading Van Til or things like that, reading systematic theology, and they also don't have many people to talk to. They're, like I said, they're, I, I met some folks in non-denominational churches, uh, churches with, a, with an evangelical and even a, an Arminian background and history, that they're becoming more and more Reformed, but they feel alone. They don't have anyone to talk to. These are the kinds of people that we came across, uh, that we spoke with and interacted yeah. with at the Desiring God Conference. And we're able to offer in some odd way, but a very blessed way, uh, some sort of connection uh, where people can listen in to a Reformed conversation. They can grow in their understanding, and then they can weigh what is said and what is heard in, in light of Scripture as they pray over it and think about these things. Where are you going to find people like that, you know? If you just stick to your own tradition, exclusively and rigidly, I mean, you know, where are you ever going to talk to other people that already aren't just going to reinforce what you already think? Right. right. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's way more helpful. You know, we talk, at, for example, there, there was a little bit of a hubbub, I don't know, a couple months ago, um, because people are probably perpetually asking, is John Piper reformed? I, in, my, in my perspective, that's not really the right question to ask. I don't think uh, reformed is a moniker that should, I mean, there, there are exceptions, but that should be labeled for people um, in one sense. I think it should be a label for theological belief. So is John Piper reformed? Well, yes. And, and I would say on, on, you know, maybe a couple things, um, you know, I disagree with him on maybe um, the way he phrases some uh, cessationist language um, or non-cessationist language. And, you know, clearly on baptism, that, that would be an interesting discussion. Um, but demonstrated by this conference, there are beliefs that he holds that are straight right down the line reformed. And I'd say more reformed than some people that I've had exposure to in like the PCA and, and, and OPC even. Um, I know some people in the PCA and the OPC that, in my opinion, have a Thomistic apologetic approach. Um, am I going to call them unreformed? No. I just don't think that that particular belief is consistent with the Reformed tradition. So right. while it can be a helpful shortcut to say, is this guy Reformed, you know, in just kind of casual conversation, again, as shorthand and quick, I don't think that that's the right approach to use for people. Like it's a switch that you can just flip on and off. <laughs> You were, yeah, and and therefore, if it, if he has one particular view that doesn't line up with my Reformed confession, then I'm going to turn my ears off to everything he might say on any right. topic. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting point you bring up, Jared, because it's it's sort of asking the the question of what is the boundary marker for, are the boundary markers for the label and the moniker Reformed. Um, is reformed becoming the new uh, just, you know, he's evangelistic or he's an evangelist um, or evangelical. Is it is it slowly because of this young restless and reform yeah. movement is it moving into that category where the, the boundaries are not as clear, they're getting blurry, uh, especially as these larger conferences pop up and you hear 
the word reform being used over and over again. Um, I'd like to hear you guys' opinion on what you think is, this is what I, I you know, the the world thinks the, the word reform means, and this is what it should mean, or, uh, yeah. yeah, what are you guys' opinion on that? Well, well I think, well, I think in some ways uh, it has been broadened, uh, so it certainly, it depends where you are, it's hard to say, but I mean, at a conference like this, I heard the word reformed being used a lot more broadly than we would ever use it at a at a PCA or OPC General Assembly, for instance. I don't know. Has that been your experience, Jared? Yeah. I mean, again, I think, you know, I want to go back to my previous point. It depends on what it's applied to, um, because, you know, if, 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 this, is, if this discussion, um, you know, goes into kind of the young, restless and reformed and evaluation of it, you know, I would say, again, based on what I previously said, that um, people... Uh, I don't think that's the way to go to to label the the right. the person as a whole as either reformed or or unreformed. I think it's so much more complex than that. So, you know, would a would a four point Calvinist um, would that count as someone who's reformed? I, again, as a person, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's more complex than that. I think it's kind of pardon, but kind of a stupid question to ask in the first place. Um, you could also ask, are they at a reformed church? Well, it depends on what the church's confession is. It, right. It's it's more complex than just a yes or no. So, are they reformed on their belief, uh, you know, of predestination? Maybe, and then that's a reformed belief. Is it consistently uh, laid out and held by them? You know, with with how it systemically works out uh, into um, ecclesiology and soteriology and everything else? Probably not. Um, but I think what I'm saying here it just demonstrates it's a more complex complex question then, you know, is, is young restless reform really reformed? Well, it's just, again, it's kind of a dumb yeah. question. Right. And they're reformed Jews. I mean, the word itself can be used as an adjective for all sorts of things, uh, right. you know, um, but yeah, I think the point you're making is, is uh, well taken and it's important that there are different views. And this brings us back to, I think, a lot of the teaching or the, or the lessons that Carl Truman includes in his book, The Creedal Imperative. It yeah. really helps for us to know, you know, what our beliefs are and to delineate those. And that's where subscription is. Everyone has their own beliefs and everyone has a creed somewhere. It's whether or not you're going to mention it or, or let other people know what it is. And that, that's helpful to bring us back to the historical point. And these are the historic Reformed creeds and confessions. I subscribe to X, you know, personally, I subscribe to the Westminster standards, which are received, um, you know, in their form uh, by the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. That's my—that's what I subscribe to, and I believe wholeheartedly in those standards. And that distinguishes me ever so slightly from people that only subscribe to the three forms of unity, or mm-hmm. people in the Presbyterian Church USA that subscribe to altered forms of those standards, you know, and that's a helpful way for us to point to differences in ecclesial traditions, ecclesiastical traditions. Um, but just to say one person is reformed or not, it, it becomes a little more complex. Um, if we're speaking strictly in terms of historical developments and uh, historical lineage, then you can trace the OPC back uh, to when it broke off from the mainline Presbyterian Church. You could back up in American Presbyterianism all the way to uh, people that traveled over here and people that came even as a you know, to influence the, the the theology and the and the church life of early Presbyterianism, you can back up to the Puritans in uh, the present day England and the United Kingdom, etc. You know, and you can trace those lines. And many people would say, "Well, that's what reform means." 
Right. Can you trace yeah. your ecclesiastical tradition to uh, uh, explicitly to a branch of the tree that came from the Reformation? Uh, and that's a know. that's a legitimate question. I think I just don't think that that's the only question or the no, only it's not. criterion. I know you're not saying that, no, but, but like it or not, the word's getting used in a variety of ways. So you can yeah, people yeah. can complain all they want that you know a, a credo Baptist has no right to call himself reformed. Well, people are calling themselves reformed, so deal with it. You know, we have yeah. to we have to we have to, uh, we have to talk about these things and just right. accept the fact that the word itself. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it could be re- recovered in a strict sense the way that some uh, present day Reformed and Presbyterians would like. Uh, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's kind of the, the cat's out of the bag. It's, yeah, I don't know I if it could be corralled. The way it's being used right now, uh, with all all the different conferences that that Jared and I go to to represent Westminster, that are within like this young, restless, and Reformed, you could say, movement or um, it seems like it, the word reformed circles around both the five points of Calvinism and the five solas. And so it's kind of, uh, that's where, uh, kind of how reformed is being used. Um, does that mean the four point Calvinist uh, is reformed? It's like, well, I guess kind of, but it's, Somewhere within the vicinity of that is as how I see it being used as far as all the different people that are outside of confessional heritage that call themselves reformed. But what they mean, usually when I talk to them at these conferences, is that they are, you know, five point Calvinists and they hold to the five souls. The five souls. Or, that's, or that's something how. close to that. So and, and, and Camden, yeah. you you raise a good point. Like the where we subscribe to the Westminster Confession. And I think that's, you know, the Westminster Standards there, for me, that's the standard of Reformed theology. Um, so if if I'm talking about whether a certain belief is Reformed or not, I'm going to go to that first. Um, I also acknowledge that it's not exhaustive, so it's not going to say everything that's ever been said there are said different versions out there. There's, There's different versions. And also, I think, you know, we should also mention uh, the reason we uh, subscribe to it is because it's faithful to Scripture, so that there is... We can't ever let the the confession be a barrier to getting back to scripture. Um, we all we have yeah. to acknowledge theological beliefs in their confessional integrity or not, um, based on whether they're biblically faithful or not. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's just a helpful reminder. Um, I think there's a lot to be learned. Um, I know my eyes were open to some degree. I was very much looking forward to going to this conference. I thought it'd be great for Reformed Forum and great for me personally. But I, I have to tell you, I was I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, that um, the conference itself um, exceeded my high expectations. Yeah, and uh, I I look forward to going back into the future and and hopefully uh, being able to send more people from Reformed Forum to various conferences uh, around the country so that we can get out and, and meet people and uh, hopefully be able to serve others better. And I have to hand it to Sinclair Ferguson. Oh, uh, man. I mean, he just did a great job. Yeah. Uh, just excellent. So anybody listening to this, I'd encourage them to go listen to the, the talks that he gave. Um, man, especially his first one was just, it was great. Um, yeah, there were people weeping. One guy said, I, I cried five times during that d- delivery. <laughs> 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 yeah. And uh, and it, it's, it was very interesting, too, because he spoke on union in connection to baptism 
when he's a Presbyterian and, you know, 90% of the audience is Baptist. And so, you know, he said himself, he, he was, uh, you know, treading on thin ice, but, uh, he did an excellent job. Well, you he know, really if that did. ice breaks, he might get immersed. You just have to watch out. <laughs> Terrible yeah. joke. I need the well, rim shot here. It's a good point because it's a good example of uh, just different, um, you know, denominations, let's say, interacting too, because the feedback from his talk was just unbelievable. I mean, people were uh, very moved by it. And, and I'm talking about Baptists as well. Um, so it was communicated in a way that I think was so helpful across denominational lines, but that didn't compromise on on anything that he believes whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Well, you know, really appreciate the opportunity to to have kind of a post mortem. That's so morbid. I mean, nothing died, but to to have a uh, to have a follow up conversation on this conference, and we look forward Our old to old man died. Yeah, time. yeah, the old man. We're living in the new man, and uh, you know, I do encourage you to visit the website desiringgod.org, where you can find a lot of these conference addresses. So much great stuff. It was great, and I encourage you to look at these conferences in the future as uh, opportunities for you to come and learn and grow, uh, and also interact with other like-minded believers. It's a great opportunity. Please visit us online as well at reformedforum.org. There you will find information about all of our programs, and we really encourage you to tweet us at Reformed Forum, or you can tweet us individually. Uh, you have at Jared Oliphant, at Case Van Til, that's K-E-E-S-V-A-N-T-I-L. It's, it's not at Jonathan Brack, as you might expect. And uh, you can tweet me at Camden Busey. We love hearing from you, and uh, we like hearing your suggestions about uh, program topics and other things that we might speak about. Uh, So visit us online, of course, reformedforum.org. We want to thank everybody for listening. We also want to thank Jonathan Parnell and David Mathis for their time with us on this episode. We hope you join us again next time on Christ the Center.